everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk number 376, recording this fine Wednesday, the 24th of September 2014. Welcome, one and all. Uh, I want to say, of course, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that we're sponsored by Isotope, who indeed will be giving away one of their fabulous RX4 licenses. In fact, that started last week, so I've got a winner to announce this week too. So stay tuned, it could be you. That's a sort of that's somebody else's trademark, I'd imagine. I should probably be careful about saying that. Anyway, um, let's go back to our guests. I want to say, uh, well, first of all, we also say thank you very much to our chat room. Got a nice full chat room this week. Uh, oh, there we go. Even even singing along with the intro tune, isn't that marvellous? So we'll go back to our panels. Uh, we've got a we're we're, we're with D- Dave Spears and Andy Shilito Are looking a bit like a moody electronic duo there. I'm looking. The, I'm I'm digging the shot. If you if you drop the contrast down even more, Dave, you could go for the real sort of you know circa OMD circa nineteen nineteen eighty seven or something. Um, I've only put one third up. Andy Shilito, you may know or may not. He's been a guest a couple of times on the show. Uh, he's a, a, a basically a fairly high level front house recording enge- uh, sound engineer. Front house being live uh, production. He does studio work and what have you. Just back off the road, I believe. Uh, yes, indeed. Courtney Love. Three weeks in Australia with Courtney Love. That sounds like a book right there. <laughs> Tiring book, yes. <laughs> I w- I'm going to have to quiz you about this. We've also got uh, Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com, who's right there. He's he's playing the kind of, um, was it the Chris Lowe role in the in the electronic duo, perhaps? Is that the guy from uh, Pet Shop Boys? You don't, you don't get to speak. Yeah, that's the shot there, right there. Moody Electronic. I think that's going to be the poster frame. You've just sealed your fate. How are you, Dave? I'm good, and you? Yeah, good. Um, of course, last time we spoke to you, uh, it was prior, was when uh, last week we had Tara Bush on. Tara Bush, of course, uh, did a gig on Sunday. Uh, which I know that Andy was involved in the sound for, but and I've got a clip from that because Andy hot-footed it back and uh, edited some stuff. Uh, our Andy, not your Andy. Um, so I'll play you a little clip and perhaps we can talk about that later. But on to the rest of our guests. Also got Mr Gaz Williams, gazwilliams.me, professional bass player, producer and co-host of Sonic Touch. The ever-popular Sonic Touch. In fact, uh, episode 35 is live today, Gaz. I never heard back about uh, whether there was a problem with any of the edits. So I'm just, I just threw caution to the wind and I threw it up there. Exposed us for all to see. How are you, Gaz? I, I do feel quite exposed with that, uh, that episode, actually, because I don't think I told you at the time, but I'd been, um, I'd been at a festival all weekend and uh, was in, just ruined i was ruined <laughs> and i thought somehow i could bluff it on the video but uh when i i, I can't <laughs> i look i look as ruined as i as i felt well so, um, only you I mean, only you and your mother would know i've been dreading that episode coming out actually because oh. uh, yes but we, anyway. would, we would have been none the wiser if you hadn't said it oh <laughs> no it, well yeah anyway you should check it out uh we cover uh i the uh focus right i track doc uh keith mcmillan soft step two and also uh there's a sort of it's posthumous doesn't sound right but uh, rather late in coming gold award for um the uh for loopy hd which is a fantastic thingy thing to listen Loop to station Loop Station thing. that's right and Gaz performed so you definitely ought to watch that anyway yeah, yeah, uh, we yeah. also have Mr Richard Hilton who's uh, back briefly between huge disco festival performances where he plays keyboards with Chic and also uh, when he's not doing that he's in the studio with Niall so he's pretty much niled out I'd imagine in life uh, who's uh, and, and works constantly with him in a creative and musical uh, situation how are you Richard 
You well? I'm I'm very well, thank you. Good. Yes. Where are and you? Actually, back? I wouldn't say constantly because right now he's actually in London working on something with uh, some other people. So ah, he well. works with other people too. But ah. um, I love working with him and have done so for a long time. So where are you back from then? Have you been somewhere thrilling? Uh, yes, of course I was. I was in Tuesday. Milan, Italy. I was in Milan, Italy, where the food is unbelievable. And oh. the audience was also unbelievable. And uh, nice setting and great lighting. And it was a good show. We had fun. I... And before, before that, we played consecutive nights in Curacao in Ireland one weekend. <laughs> that wow. Wow. Was... If you think about the distances involved, that was a pretty insane wow. weekend. I mean, we've had quite a bit, you know, of down and backs, and uh, they've all been amazing. But the next one is not huge. It's at the Indigo 2 in London um, on the 9th of October. Wow. Okay. Awesome. I'm, go- I'm not going to be in London that weekend, but uh, I was gonna go- I'm was going. i going up next weekend to see uh, the very short-running Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is the uh, uh, it's a musical that's... Uh, is it, I can't remember the name of the guy now, the director. He, anyway, he's done it. It's supposed to be very good. We managed to get some cheap tickets, so we're going to go up and enjoy that. But anyway, um, thank you very much for joining everybody, one and all. And back to you, Andy and Dave. So uh, first up... You're kind of you're you're back from your tour, right? So uh, mm-hmm. you that's front of house, and that's very sort of guitar. Was that the the the, the classic Courtney Love lineup? I was looking at some of her stuff earlier today, and uh, she's definitely rocking it. Uh, well, the recent stuff, yeah, the, the Australian stuff. Um, yeah, it's I've not worked with her before, and was obviously expecting Hull or members of, um, which it isn't. It's uh, Ginger Wildheart from Old Wild Hearts fame. A guy called Mikko Larkin on stage left playing guitar who had a band called Larrikin Love who did fairly well. Uh, and the drummer is an American session drummer who plays for a band whose name have temporarily escaped me. But they're all kind of seasoned swapping band people. So it's kind of tightened. That side of it's tightened up a lot around her from what I understand. Okay. Um, uh, she's worked hard at raising the game from old. There's obviously been this negative, uh, which I wasn't aware of, this YouTube thing that went viral, um, which I could explain to some degree, actually, if you want. I mean, it's particularly unfair, that one, because she, her guitar's not in the mix. She doesn't intend to play guitar. She intends to look like she's playing guitar. Oh, so, okay. so, is, is this, the, is this the, the thing of just Courtney's voice in isolation? Yeah. Is that what, you, what yeah. you're talking about? Right, yeah, right, right. I, had a br- I, had a, I had a brief look at it the other day because I, I was mixing some stuff from that tour and spoke to the manager and he said, have you seen that thing? And I was like, no. So I had a look. But it's, you know, if she, she's actually quite a good guitar player, if she chose to play a guitar, it would have been quite competent. The point is it's not there for that. The other two guitar players do it. Hairs is just a visual prop. Right. So it's misrepresentative, 50% misrepresentative, let's, misrepresentative, let's say. Okay, well, so how, I mean, technically, from a technical point of view, I mean, were there any specific challenges there? I mean, she doesn't sound like you're dealing with someone who's got a really whisper-quiet voice and you've got to fight against no. a rock band and all that sort of stuff, so... No, quite the opposite. Um, apart from, you know, occasionally the voice would give out um, and, and then you would be fighting with it for a couple of days until she had a day off. But that's fairly common for a lot of people. Um, no, there, there was no... I think the main challenge with that was she needs so much vocal on stage and lots of people do, but, but she needed an incredible amount on stage, which meant that I'm, unless the gig's bigger than 2000, 
I'm still getting some of that bottom end off her wedges. So that was a little bit of a challenge sometimes. But generally speaking, it was a very easy gig to mix. Oh, that's interesting. And a lot of fun. That sounds like it. So, I, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, once once one uh, one reaches once one reaches a certain time in one's career as an artist, uh, you you just don't party all the time. So it must have been a little less hectic than perhaps those whole days, I'd imagine. Um, it was a lot less hectic than that. Uh, I mean, there there were uh, people who shall be renamed in the band that um, still parted a little bit. But that, again, I think we spoke about this last time I was on. You don't see so much of that anymore. It's people have to have it together. Live is where they're making a lot of their money. And, yeah, when they've been in the game that long, I think, I mean, when she did talk about that briefly, as did, uh, and I hope this doesn't sound like name-dropping, but Chrissy Hind, who I did a couple of gigs for recently, spoke about the same thing. And they both sort of said, you just get bored after a while. <laughs> of, yeah. Of being smashed and trying to do a gig smashed. So, no, you don't really see much of it now. It's a much more professional outlook, I think. I suppose it would have to be, yeah, like you say, because I mean, it's so much more riding on it that you can't yeah. really cock it up because you, you know you've got a lot of stuff that 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 does actually cause you, you know, grief. Yeah, and, you and the other thing is, you know, and, and this recent Courtney viral thing is a good example. Is you can do, you can have ten amazing YouTube tube clips up and one really dreadful one, and that's the one people will will feed around, and that's the one people will talk about. So uh, people are more careful about doing bad shows now because of YouTube and the internet and Facebook stuff and the immediacy with which stuff can be put I suppose up. that's a good thing, though. That kind of raises the game for everybody, and everybody then has, you know, the the, 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 the clear th- winner is the punter because they get to see a good show and they get to see someone committed to doing a good show. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah, it, do, it does, I think. Yeah. I think it's interestingly tied to, to one of the subjects I think you're going to talk about later, which is the, the cross between the uh, touchscreen desks and analogue desks and how that's changed. I think there's a similar analogy-type change going on all over the business. Oh, that's interesting. I would like to talk more about that because uh, as we've got you here and you're a rare yeah. uh, attendee, it, it would seem to make sense. And one of the things that did come up, I just wanted to, to briefly come to this because obviously you were at South Bank and you were mixing the uh, uh, yes. Tara and, and Andy Mack, our resident uh, video guy, uh, my, my business partner, he came back uh, today uh, with the footage and cut this together so we can have a quick look and then perhaps you can uh, we can we can recount some of the experiences so here it comes oh no that's not it it's this one wait a minute that's that was the audience that was, that was the audience and this is the show i was so wrapped up in a gig i didn't know there were that many people there sounds fantastic that Oscar sounds awesome (laughs) 
So that was a clip uh, from, I, I'm guessing that was the longer form of the film. One of the things that I was going to ask you about, because Andy, you, you popped in and sort of got involved in the sound to that. I'm guessing, you know, usually, you know, you're when you're working with bands that are touring, they're not taking that kind of kit on the road. They're taking, you know, samplers, they're taking representations. Did you notice a difference? Because usually, you know, when you're dealing with a large sound system, you can really hear that extra bottom end and the sort of stuff that we go, oh, yes, they're this much. But you would be best placed to kind of go, actually, yes, because that, that Oscar sounded absolutely monstrous when it came in. Did you find that you were kind of going, oh, these synths actually do sound quite a lot different to the usual stuff I get from a line out? Uh, I did, but I was expecting that. Having, uh, you know, years ago done things like the Sneaker Pimps, who had a lot of old... I mean, Headswim that I used to do, used to have a... What was it, Dave? I was uh, an SH20. An MS20. <laughs> SH20. Um, apparently, yeah, that even. Um, so I kind of... I, I did know about it. Uh, I expected it, and I recently worked with Alison Moyer, and that was all off, you know, sound modules and samplers and, and laptops and Ableton and stuff. Um, and funnily enough, I was sitting next to Chris, Dave's business partner, whilst watching the support band, who were running similar but simulated sounds, and they didn't sound analogue through a big PA, but as soon as any of Dave's stuff was put up it sounded ma massively different much more pleasant to listen to i think it's, it's obviously like the vinyl cd mp3 thing but it was massively noticeable between the support band setup and tara's setup oh interesting uh, dave i noticed that you posted a uh, a, sh a photograph of you cleaning your up <laughs> 2600 right with a sort of rather ocd type obsessive cap caption which i'm sure is not the case i mean how is it for you because they were your babies up there and i know you were quite nervous about having uh, the electronics sort of out in the world in a live scenario did it all work out okay no damages no no amazing i mean i did yeah i put a post up this morning saying that she'd looked after them really well but it's a bit like a girlfriend who's kind of, you know, gone off and had an affair. Now I've got the 2600 back. I'm quite prepared to take her back as long as she has a good wash. <laughs> so uh, it was that kind of mucking about that was going on this morning. No, it was, honestly, I was really quite blown away with it. I hadn't seen any of the rehearsals. Uh, we had very few discussions you know i'd kind of helped her with a selection of synths and then that had become refined over the time what really impressed me was how she used each of those synthesizers for their inherent sonic character so the oscar was nasty and the pro one was fat and the 101 which actually that could have gone at any time there is a you know this is button yeah, issue the main issue, on the power yeah. supply and I'd taken the SH2 up to swap it out. Uh, but she was so, so tightly rehearsed that actually the solution I came up with, which was basically use that sound for VCO1 and use the second sound for VCO2. And then when you finish the first song, drop that fader down and run the other fader up for VCO2 and then you're ready. She was so tightly rehearsed, she just said, I'll forget that. I'm going to take a chance with the 101. So really it only came, that was the only thing that was... The th that was the only thing I was slightly concerned about, that that could suddenly drift. There was an issue with the support band where the speaker started um, crackling. That wasn't good. In fact, I spoke to the guy afterwards. He was great, actually, uh, Cuts. And he said he, ha he didn't hear it, so he had a fantastic time on stage because his monitors were sounding good. 
Um, but from an audience perspective, that was a complete distraction. And the mark of a pro quietly walks off, arranges for an entire new PA section to be put on in between the swap over. So when Tara went on, she was naturally concerned, but it took two seconds to allay her fears and go, that's all sorted. You're all ready to roll. So from my point of view, it was really awesome. And then it just got more awesome because if you think that's powerful, when she starts using the 2600, both Chris and I looked at each other and went, we need a PA with a massive sub bass <laughs> in a big room. Because it just went, it was like a throbbing thing. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's so, inter yeah. in interesting. Did you find you had to process it much, Andy, or did you just let it come out as it was and, you know? Uh, no. But the, the way it works was that Tara did all the mixing on stage. And um, uh, sorry, I just saw the delayed image of Dave doing something behind me. I thought he was doing it while I was talking. <laughs> um, so she was sending me a stereo mix, basically. And then what I did to that was put a fairly poor, it was a digital desk. Um, so I put a fairly posh compressor on it that would touch it when her vocal peaked and would touch it on anything that was massively bassy, but it was only compressing about 2%. Wow. Um, so, but because I'd never seen it before and I knew they were powerful uh, instruments, powerful sounding instruments with a big range, and we just lost the PA once, I had to do something to protect that happening again without spoiling it. But... You don't spoil it. People think sometimes that things need to be loud, and actually they work better when they're at the right volume, particularly bassy things. So I think um, whether it was the reason that the PA blew up during the support band was that it was a little bit too loud on some of the sounds or not, I think that engineer was running it too loud. We ran a lot quieter, but it sounded huger, and I think that was a combination of the instruments and, and working the room. Oh, that's very interesting. I mean, I guess my, uh, I would have been tempted to put a limiter on it just so that it didn't, you know, you couldn't break anything. So just a little bit of compression would still live. And I, I, Rich, I saw you. Well, that was, sorry. that was kind of how I set the compressor up. It was ah. just so it hit it, uh, but hit it quickly. Ah, and I, see I, what you mean. I can, <clears throat> I can see it then working. And, and if anything gets out of order, then I would just bring the ratio right up. Right. So it was effectively limiting. But, you know, you, you've got to kind of, <clears throat> you've got to kind of wait and see what happens to a certain degree. You take precautions, but don't squash things too much. Just be ready, which, again, comes in on our discussion later on with analog desks against digital desks. Oh, that is very interesting, yes. It, I, it's much harder to oops. set that kind of protective thing up on a digital desk and then work with it fast during the show. Ah, interesting. I see you nodding there, Rich. <clears throat> uh, uh, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, with the, the chic stuff, the, the, the kind of the, the way that it's... Um, played, everybody's very in touch with their instruments. You know, they're n you're not going to get massive spikes of sound because everybody's basically really professional and knows, you know, how to use a microphone or how to how to play within the confines. They're not going to suddenly sort of dial in a sort of fully blown AC30 at kind of 25 dB louder than it ever was. So it, it must be a, a, an an, a, an easier gig in terms of peaks, but a larger amount of sound sources, perhaps. Perhaps. I'm not mixing, so I don't know. But I assume that Tara knows how to do all that, too. So mm. um, what, Ed, what I was nodding about was the effectively limiting comment that Andy made at the end, which is basically he's setting up the compressor as a final 
tipping point before the PA is going to be hit too hard. And it's really not intended to be like signal processing on the input so much as preventative. And uh, it all makes total, complete sense. Andy, you and me got to work together sometimes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, you never know. You might end up at the same festival somewhere and it might just might just be like that. Um, I yeah. think what we'll do now is I'm going to just uh, – bring in the uh, isotope and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about the whole thing because we did have a com- uh, a, um, a discussion a few weeks ago about the personas uh, sort of rack mount mixers with the touchscreen front end and i just wanted to explore that a little bit more with someone who is you know doing front of house sound a lot more so we'll come back to that but in the meantime okay. we'll just uh, say thank you to our sponsors isotope and of course this is the next generation of industry standard. This is RX4. We've got a little piece that we recorded uh, going through these things coming up uh, in the next few days. It's an, M- it's an Emmy award-winning RX software. It's got uh, so many professional tools for either post-production or recording. Lots and lots of ways. Clip gain. You can easily adjust the balance and volume of vocals. You've got dialogue denoiser, which is now available on the RX4 and Advanced. RX Connect, which is really useful for taking uh, workflow, say, from Pro Tools and just bringing it to and from RX as an editor uh, for audio professionals in post-production music production and mastering the advanced version boasts additional time-saving features as well uh, including a leveler which is like an automatic automator if that makes sense EQ match uh, also ambience match and there's many more features so what you want to do is get head over to isotope uh, slash RX4 and you get uh, as with all their products 10-day download uh, unlimited demo, uh, which is fantastic. So you can try it all out. You can do that for both advanced and the basic version. So do check it out. And of course, uh, if you've been following the show, you'll know that we've been giving it away. Or, well, I say us. I mean, Isotope, we give away a copy of RX every week. Uh, And we have a winner for last week's show. Uh, I would like to congratulate Matthew Tanner. Uh, who is who has actually written a blog for us in the past? So it was nice to see his voice come up, uh, his 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 name come up in the uh, in the random number generator. Matthew Tanner, um, I will contact you, and the Isotope Ferry will give you a copy of RX Four. So congratulations, mate! Um, so thank you very much for that. We've also got another competition uh, which we're going to run this week, and you need to basically be uh, on Twitter. It's pretty easy to win Isotope RX Four. You just have to tweet. The hashtag EQ match, that's hashtag EQ match, because that's one of the features of RX4, uh, to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And what happens is we see a stream of tweets that come in and then we basically count up the number that there are, collect a random number, count up from the bottom, so from the from the first to arrive to the last, and that's the one that wins. And it's the random number generator at random.org. So it's all transparent as you like. Uh, anyway, one say again, RX4, if you want to win that, Hashtag EQ match at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. Uh, so please do enter. And uh, we once again, we thank Isotope for their continued sponsorship of the show. Um, so, yes. Anyway, we're going back to the kind of notion of this uh, idea of um, what's been happening in sort of the digital world. We've seen a massive revolution in terms of what's happening with digital, uh, in terms of, you know, the the, the uh, Digizign desks, uh, all the sort of front of house stuff, the footprints coming down, so much smaller, and also much smaller uh, actual PA systems as well. Um, I, and there's been also, there's, there's, it seems there's further to go. Obviously, we saw the uh, Persona system. I think I've got a clip of it here, not a clip, but uh, you can see this is the uh, the uh, AI 
Personas desk that basically gives you the opportunity to, to control either via touchscreen or you know a larger format touchscreen or iOS device, that sort of thing. I just want to come to you, Gaz, quickly, because I know you were really, really interested in the notion of mixing on touchscreen, and, with the, and you were looking at the Line 6, um, I forget, is it Stage Source, I think it was called? Um, uh, yeah, Mixscape or Mixscape, no, Stagescape oh. sounds yeah, yeah one of those. It, it was a, it was a uh, and and so you know the idea of getting to stuff with hands on on touch and you're you know obviously a co-host uh, of Sonic Touch. Do you still feel do you feel confident that you would you you'd be able to be happy to work in that environment? Or do you think it's going to take a little bit more time for you to kind of get into that notion? Um, yeah, well, hmm. It's interesting you saying that because I have had various experiences since we were first discussing it and with certain negative kind of experiences. So I've been put off it a little bit, but um, uh, I, uh, it's a tricky one. The idea of just being able to take the, you know, like something like an iPad, go front of house and be able just to move around and, you know, mix in that way, I think is still very um, it's an attractive notion isn't it it is and i've also been working on a project recently where we were using um uh cubase ic like a like the remote control um to to mix on uh but what was frustrating for me with that is it was just not enough control and i couldn't resize the faders and various other things so i just found it a little bit irritating and ended up not using it um whereas the idea of it was really quite exciting the actual practical implementation of it when you hit against those uh things which um act as a block you just kind of go Back to my Until, original choice. I refer you to my original exactly. decision, my lad. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I yeah. see what you're saying. Well, Andy, I mean, you know, this is very much the thing, isn't it? The sort of promise of all this, 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 this notion of a, a sort of new age. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, you, you started out working on analogue boards, right? And now presumably most yeah, of the places absolutely. you go are digital. Do you get to specify what it is or do you have to have the show prepared for various different desks? I mean, how does that work? Uh, you have to cover all of those options as much as you possibly can. Um because even if you spec a desk at a festival, uh, it may blow up before you get them. Um, yes, or you, you may get there and they may have been lying. <laughs> um, when they said, yes, you can have that, we'll make sure there's one there when you arrive. Uh, so it's, you have to have a broader uh, catch net, really. These, I mean, that's one of the things, is that you have to, uh, which relates to this sort of the way the analogy moves into like the work field as well. Back in the day, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you had to know one set of skills to run a mixing desk at a PA. You now need a whole other set of skills. And to get the best out of it, I mean, I'd be interested, what application um, was it being used in when you were using it? Uh, the Presonus desk that we were talking about was that a big gig or were you oh, stage mi- mixing? Uh, I or? wasn't. Do- I wasn't mixing. It was that the, the notion was there's a new range of products which is, uh, and it's not just Presonus because we're seeing them with the, the Behringer rack mount. We're seeing them with uh, yeah. all the, the, the the fact that we can control these complex DSP and mix environments with a touch surface. And the notion being that we would want to okay. or feel comfortable doing that. Um. I had a discussion with this with an engineer the other day when we were on the Courtney tour, um, and I can, from my from, from where I work, the kind of things that I do, I can see that being very useful 
to a systems tech or a front of house engineer if you're playing in anything over 2,000 seaters or if there's a balcony it's easy then to walk upstairs and do something make corrections while you're stood in that spot as opposed to running up and downstairs and not being able to do it in a smaller gig um, your chances of being able to get it sound all right everywhere are fairly small so if a, as a front of house engineer uh, I would not think that that was a useful application uh, to be running during a show particularly because it's on something like an iPad uh -huh. and actually actually because it's touchscreen because it's very easy to make a mistake <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, quite often when one when, when rests your finger on a fader in anticipation of the move that you need to make in the, you know, at the at the end of the turnaround Absolutely. section, which the band may indeed decide to add another four bars to or whatever it may be. And putting your finger on a touchscreen or hovering it above it is a scary prospect, particularly if there's that thing yeah. where sometimes you get very close and it just decides to read your finger anyway. Yeah, I find that a bit scary. But in, in terms of the use that I was talking about, which is basically setting the systems up and having a walk around during the gig, that's actually been available to us on PA systems quite a long time because they have touchscreen linked systems. It, and at that level, I don't think you'd find them using an iPad. They have dedicated touchscreens that they can walk around with. Right. So that, you know, the, the concept for it is very good and very strong, I think. But I, I think the concept for being able to do things like that on an iPhone is fairly flawed but if if you're talking about wedding gigs and stuff like that i would think it's very useful that's interesting do you i mean do you think though the, the pressures of you know because touring brings pressures in it you know i mean i know rich for instance you know you have finessed your system to the point where you know you take the minimum amount of stuff and you know your traveling footprint is such a major factor in you know making the whole thing work for you and for the wider organization and for the pa and for everybody that those pressures will become harder to explain away other than i don't like it it might not work quite as well i mean do, do, do you see what i mean see what i'm saying there you mean that's uh, relating sorry oh, i'm sorry I thought yeah, you no no go, go ahead richard me. sorry he did, Were I you think. directing that to me, Nick? Yes, I was, yeah. Oh, okay, good. Um, then I'll answer it. Uh, you mean in terms of us using a, something like the PreSonus rig? Or whatever, as, you know, a touch, you know, being, be, whatever it may be. It's not necessarily that, but something that would that, that would be, for, not f the market pressures would mean that you would ha almost end up inevitably there. Well, as I've mentioned in the past when this subject in general came up, handing an iPad to each member of the band and letting them have a go is tantamount to giving people enough rope with which to hang themselves on some level. Um, and having a well-trained, experienced, and responsive crew who you trust and know are going to deliver for you what your vision of what you're after is, is way better than that. Um, I do see our front of house guy, who's wonderful, coming down front during sound checks and moving around a little bit. But generally speaking, he's not all over the room. And an experienced person can basically go upstairs, hear what they hear, go downstairs and make the correction. It's not uh, something that's going to require 10 flights up and down to figure out. And uh, so I pretty much agree with Andy right down the line. Hmm. as to where it's best used and most uh, creatively applied. And I also, even down to the fact that I don't trust my finger, I, as I've said so many times before, mixing on a coffee table is not something I ever really aspired to do. 
Sure, sure, I've got you. Do you think, Andy, that um, these things, I mean, because presumably there must have been some form of, there, there was probably a, a, a resistance within the industry to the changeover from analogue to digital, even though the benefits are just enormous. Uh, and presumably it's just as a result of the technology not being adequate to get the job done for comfortable whereas now they're kind of everywhere now it's almost the opposite it's almost unusual to see an analog console in a touring rig or a festival rig yeah it is very unusual unless um, somebody specs it i know the muse guy does um but you know they're doing massive shows and he has an xl4 and he runs a lot of pro tools and he also has a digital desk with him um but unless you've got that kind of luxury of budget yeah uh, and digital desks, you know, you can store shows, you can do changeovers quickly. They're, they're very useful, and they're now very stable. Uh, and I think the major, initially, the major objections would have been from um, the older school engineers. And I know there were some. You know, there were people who insisted that they had to have an XL4. A large amount of it was out of fear of not being able to deal with the new desks. Yeah. I think now most people are quite happy to use them. Now they've all been around, we all know. I mean, I don't know them inside out, but I can walk up to any digital desk and within 10 minutes, because they're all quite intuitive, I can make it do what I need it to do. So, uh, that's it. so Sindra, do you find that you have to create the show on multiple desks? I mean, do you get that luxury in production rehearsals? Because usually you just wheel in whatever it is you're going to specify most oh, of the time, right? Well, if you're on a production rehearsal, the chances are you'd be taking that desk um, and if you weren't taking it, you'd be specking one the same everywhere. And often you will send the files so they'll be there. Um, so, again, it's not really a... If you're doing festivals, you're getting random gigs. And as, sorry, you're getting random desks. And as you build up more shows with an artist, you have more desk files for that artist. Uh, uh, I see. So after, for, after, after a know, festival I, or a gig there, you would say, can I take that with me? Because that's some work I'd, that I've done in the field on it, right? Yeah. No, you, yeah, you always get to take the file with you. It's your file. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for instance, The Darkness, I've got hundreds of files for, from different shows covering all types of desks. So there's all, I always have a start point. Ah, that's interesting. So that makes it, uh, uh, in many ways, you know, the more you do, the more the more of a background. I guess that, you know, what somebody probably yeah. needs to do is write some kind of uh, translator in the way that they have attempted to do across DAW documents <laughs> in yes. the past. Relatively unsuccessfully, it might be. It might be. I would assume that's... Yes, go. Sorry, Andy. Go, Rich. No, it's okay. Go. Um, All that said, (laughs) about 15 months ago, in Hyde Park, while we were on stage in front of like 100,000 people and on the Beeb in front of God knows how many more, two digital desks failed simultaneously. Wow. And uh, at one point, they were sending audio from the monitor desk just so we could resume the show. Wow. Um, with the front of house guy on an intercom with the monitor guy talking him through <laughs> mixing. Um, wow. So, yes, they are very reliable most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. I think that's... Sorry, have you finished, Richard? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, I, but I think that's a great point because if that had been an analog board... An analog board would only ever work or not. You might lose a channel or two. And then in seconds, you're in the back, you've moved it, it's done. If something goes wrong, you can follow a piece of cable to work, 
you know, fault finding was a lot easier. That's true. Something goes wrong on a digital desk, it may be on a layer somewhere, somebody may have just used the desk before you were at a festival, accidentally muted all the outputs on a layer that isn't on your file. Then you're really stuck. But if a digital desk does tend to go, it just goes. It doesn't half go. It either works or it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, because they're so expensive, unless you're on a production tour and you've got another one ready next to it, what are you going to do? You yeah. Know? <laughs> well, and so, this may have related. This may have related to things like firmware and having loaded our programs from other versions of this desk into that desk, as we do. Because you show up and you load. Yeah. You ask for the wiring to be a certain way so that you can load your show and have a nice basic starting point from which to then adjust to your current surroundings. And uh, so this may have had to do with that sort of incompatibility. But that's the point. It's very. Um, yeah, how do you, you don't always check every single software revision on every single console you walk up to. You don't know the last time they updated the firmware with this particular gear hire company in wherever you are wow. um, in the world. Yeah, that's so no, true. It's not quite as straightforward as we'd like yet. No, I suppose not. I guess it could have just been they put two mono jacks into uh, into what was stereo, <laughs> and uh, everything just went wrong, and it was very hard to trace. <laughs> I know, Gaz. I mean, you know, you you're doing quite a lot of gigs where you you know you're not taking a front of house guy. You rely pretty much on what you're given. Are you finding that there are any digital consoles in those kind of things, or are they still many out? Because I know you know club owners are starting to look at them and go, mm, "This is interesting because it makes us more attractive as a venue because it's this repeatability or whatever." I mean, there, there may be a number of reasons they would use to justify. It, but are you finding that there are any in, this, in those sort of venues? Uh, Behringer X32s are just popping up everywhere now. I mean, you know, I'm seeing those at very small gigs as well. You know, the, so that I think that's. I think that heralds a bit of a rev- you know, revolution in the digital desk market, the X32. I think it sort of brings a more bigger, you know, what you'd have only really experienced maybe at higher levels into much kind of smaller situations. Um, and I am seeing that regularly now, that, that desk, uh, uh, which I, I had to do a session with one the other day. So it's, so it was the first time I had to use one. And like Andy was saying, they are so much more intuitive these days. I remember using, I don't know, it was a Yamaha OV01V or something. Oh, it was some, one of those Yamaha ones uh, a number of years ago. And was it was all a little bit um, not sure. But like now, I don't know, they seem to have got that usability down real quick. So I was, I was actually really impressed using that unit. Um, there was something I did want to say on this subject, though, uh, that relates to a tour I was on last year where the artist, we were using a digital monitoring system and the artist was, uh, he, he could detect too much latency in his, in his uh, in-ear monitoring. And, and we had to swap out that for uh, for an analog system. Um, and that was a real kind of new system as well. And I think the latency was probably ever so tiny. But because he was singing, it was just enough just to sort of un- unsettle him. So I was wondering if uh, Andy's experienced tiny bits of latency or if that is something that only the most sensitive of artists <laughs> would notice. Good point, yeah. I- I think uh, I'm assuming it wasn't massive tour or a massive desk. It was a. 
it was a big tour but it was a kind of it was uh, it was like a separate um monitoring system that was that um, you took out with you well, we ended up not taking it in the end. We ended yeah. up using a uh, Midas Venice, I think, as the as the kind of for controlling the in ears. Um, uh-huh. I would think the latency but, issues are to do with the sort of budget level of the desk. I, we don't right. experience them in in you know forty five thousand pound desks, Digicos, hundred thousand pound desks. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I would think it's to do with the lower end of the market where people generally won't notice who are using things like right. that. <clears throat> I think that is, yeah. but that is an interesting thing because that's starting to happen mm. now. Bands, bands are turning up, support bands on tours are turning up with four sets of in-ears, a little tiny desk, and the band all do their own mixes. And it's actually more bother than it is to let the main guys, the main monitor board do it. And oh, really? you do get a lot of problems, yeah. But there are a lot of bands, especially the young bands, are buying these things so they can go out and have control of their monitors and stuff in that situation and save, you know, the £40 a night they have to pay the the systems guy to mix their monitors. Yeah, well, I mean, it does come down to, to that side of thing, you know. I mean, seats, extra seats or taking an extra it's, person, the front of house guy or whatever. I mean, that's the sort of notion of it, isn't it? There's, there, there's, a, there's a divide, isn't there? There's the big system even well whichever way you look at it the kind of effect, effectively the larger the venue the larger the entourage the bigger the crew that's still one more hotel room that's still one more plane ticket you know all of those things over a 20 40 50 60 dates or whatever really start to add up don't they and that's that's yeah. how a lot of this stuff is innovated against those costs and you just go well yeah. one less guy over a year it's paid for itself twice you know yeah but i think i think if we're coming to the end of this i think one of the things that I was thinking about this morning when I was considering <clears throat> this sort of thing is, you know, you start with the divide of the engineers who will just go, I hate digital because they don't want to learn to use it. Um, <clears throat> whether these little desks or the new things that are happening are objectionable or not, I think it's just the way the world changes. And as I read in the article that was on a, a link that you or Dave sent me, um, it's about adapting and it's about realizing that you have to expand your skills. And I yeah. think the same thing's happening with it. It's, it's, got, it's going to be until the final changeover comes and everything's digital, it's going to be a sort of conglomeration of the two where analog gets less and less percentage of that chunk. Yeah. And it finishes up as. But it, it's, oh, um, for instance, if, if the only digital desks had a minor bit of latency on them, I think eventually the culture or the musicians would learn to deal with a minor bit of latency. There isn't any going back. We're not. And, and I think that's the thing. It's the kind of, it's on all levels, it's the merging of the two things. Right, I see and what I, you're saying. I don't think you'd be resistant to the new technology because it's not good enough yet. You have to work with it and find out you know, report back to Roland or whoever made it or Sandcraft. And that's kind of how these things get developed. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, these things, and, and obviously, as we expect, you know, cheaper and cheaper technology, that's that's often the way, you know, the users are almost the, you know, the final stage of beta testing with the first round of these products. And that's just the way it ever is, really. I mean, it's it's not great. And sometimes it's, it makes you very, very cross. <laughs> but it is great. 
because oh, before they didn't care. Ah, okay. Well, that's yeah. No, that's a fair point. <laughs> and now they've learned that they don't know enough to know, so they go to people who do, and that is actually, as Andy said, progress. I mean, is it perfect? No, but it's inevitable. It's always. Right. Yeah, it's sort of, and okay. this is actually probably the best you could hope for in a way because they do now seem to care. Yeah. Well, okay. No, I, I take that point. That's a very valid one. Um, I'm interested. We move this on a little bit because there was. There, I, I don't know if you know. There's also uh, this weekend uh, or this week. There's uh, a show on in Boston. Uh, I, uh, full disclosure: I'm actually on the uh, advisory board of this show. I couldn't get to go this time, uh, but uh, it's a kind of to do with uh, the advancement of uh audio applications studio applications electronic musical instruments computer-based sort of uh dsp all that kind of thing you know combined that with touch and just the way that the industry is moving and there was a very interesting uh discussion uh yesterday in at a3 this is a3e uh in boston if you go to a3e a3exchange.com you'll find details about it, it's on today as well, they're not streaming anything but there was a piece uh, on uh, Tech Republic uh, by um, <clears throat> excuse me, Erin Carson who was there and there was a panel with Stephen Slate um, uh, uh, and uh, oh gosh, what's his name the, car, uh, the guy from Line 6 you know who he is, I forgot what his name is uh, now Marcus Ryle, Marcus, Marcus Ryle, that's it and also some guys from Land, all sorts of, uh, uh, and they're talking about the use of AI in music, you know, artificial intelligence. Yeah, I, I guess things that you know where the computer kind of does the work. And I thought that was a kind of an interesting point. I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is where can you think of those things happening? I know Gaz, for instance, we've just shot yeah. some stuff on Cubase where Cubase can do automatic tempo detection and kind of very intelligently map. Uh, live musicians to the grid. I thoroughly recommend you look at that when it comes out. Nearly finished the edit on that. But would, would you say that sort of artificial intelligence working in in tandem with s- standard music production or music, or would you say uh, that that's something different? Um, well, I think it's uh, you know there's some very clever clever work going on there. So um, so it has to use a, I guess a form of inte- uh, of artificial intelligence to be able to you know uh analyze and make some form of musical assessment uh that we're talking about the the cubase uh tempo detection algorithm there um when i saw this uh article in the show notes i was thinking uh very much along the lines of uh having artificial intelligence to act as a a virtual engineer this is something i've talked about before and something that i actually really want to happen soon if, if 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 you know if the um you know i think about computer games and the artificial intelligence has really been pushed by computer games you know if you're going to be fighting a kind of some sort of soldier then that soldier's got to think in a particular way um okay so yeah, the so. actual you know so it's kind of pretty intelligent the artificial intelligence you know is pretty good so uh so i was kind of wondering you know that that if you could harness that that kind of uh, artificial intelligence into making a a virtual engineer someone who you could talk to using voice commands and get them to do loads of the the tedious stuff you know when i'm working with an engineer on the the rare occasions i get that opportunity rather than having to do it all myself it's such a luxury you know so to rather than have to do all this kind of boring bits just to be able to 
issue a bunch of commands and for the artificial intelligence to to, to do it now <laughs> whether it will get good enough to do that we'll have to see but you know if we could just sort of say for instance i'm you know i'm talking about me maybe music production and just say okay um just mute mute all the tracks except for the kick drum and the bass guitar and you know whatever just issue basic commands and it just does all that for you uh like like a, like a real engineer could uh i would find that personally really interesting um uh, you know, I suppose that I suppose in many respects we're starting to get that way, you know, because we can set up presets so easily and recall them at a button, you know, and we can grouping and all of that sort of stuff does tend to happen. I suppose in terms of the auto mixing, that's interesting. There's the uh, is it the Dan Dan Duggan uh, auto mixer? Uh, Dugan Auto Mixer, which I think a lot of people use uh, for sort of presentations and panel discussions, such as this, where mics are intelligently muted, and you know, but but get, and that's you know, just it's like a gain matrix, I guess, a gating matrix or whatever. I'm not so sure. That's the sort of thing that is kind of useful. I mean, that that started to be. I don't know if those those whether. There, there has been some attempts to try and do that in a live music environment, isn't there, where you get the, 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 the thing that's plugged on the vocal mic. It's not just mixing. It's actually once the vocalist stands on the stands on the spot, the, the mic is open. When they move away, it closes. Those are the sort of things. I mean, that sort of stuff is logically makes a certain amount of sense. I and mean, whether you could AI it up, as it were, I don't know. I mean, have you ever experienced that sort of stuff, um, Andy, in the, in the field? Or would you prefer just to kind of keep your hands on the buttons? <laughs> uh, again, I think it's a combination of both, uh, and I think what Gaz said uh, about that sort of thing being attractive, uh, certainly in the studio, I've been getting my teeth into Pro Tools for the first time for the last 12 months, uh, and that is the one thing that really annoys me, <laughs> is having to do those mute things and groups and safety this and safety that, and it, it, you know, it's fiddly, it's easy on a physical desk. But it's fiddly when you first come to it. Although having said that, people did say, I, when I first got Pro Tools, I was going to spend five grand getting the desk surface to run it with because I didn't think I'd be able to relate to music correctly with a mouse. Um, but I found, as everybody told me very quickly, that I did. And actually, in some respects, I like it. Ah, oh, okay. Um, live proximity maps worked. Um, which are literally a rubber mat, which is sensitive, and whenever you step off the mat, the vocal mic gets down. Um, they're pretty useful if they're set up right. Um, there was also an infrared thing, but that's not so good. That, that kind of fell by the wayside. I guess with lighting um, systems, UV light and stuff, you might get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, so it was kind of infrared thing uh, on the mic stand, so it would have a beam and if uh, you yeah, stood in I that beam it would open up um yeah. they obviously didn't well they didn't last long obviously because they're not with us anymore really you don't see them uh, but the idea was good it was just too fragile a technology I right think. okay um so some automation yeah i mean to to that end i suppose uh software gates and compressors are yeah i suppose they a are form I, of artificial intelligence it's whether you could ever actually get it to calculate something rather than rely on a massive bunch of presets. Mm, I see what you with, mean. With some kind of analog rhythm that says, you know, if the bass guitar is at this level and it's got this much bottom end on it. Do something else. Do this, press do that. that. Yeah, yeah. Which is, is kind of what we do when we're programming out side chains and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's sort of yeah. creating a large 
complex sort of network of, of things that interact to once to, together. Uh, Dave, what about in, in sort of virtual instrument world? I mean, is AI coming up in the sort of stuff that you're developing or, you know, things that you've seen? I mean, where, where do you see it having a place? It's funny because for me, artificial intelligence is a euphemism for a drummer after a couple of lines of Charlie. <laughs> there's my joke of the week. <laughs> and I can say that because I'm a drummer. Now, um, I know a lot of people who are exploring this area and I'm aware of a lot of difficulties. I can't really say too much, but there's a couple of really interesting people on this panel. Marcus Ryle, obviously, big hero, uh, Line 6, Oberheim. Uh, but there's a guy, Dave Mash, who's on there from Berkeley. And he, I know, is immersed in this whole scene. And I'm seeing it in uh, not necessarily a virtual instrument arena yet, but I am seeing it in a music compositional area. And I am quite cynical on that front because I've experienced all sorts of stuff from Cohen Pro, you know, this generative music stuff, which just, you know, was kind of music to slash your wrist to uh, or um, yeah. fall asleep to and all that kind of stuff so I, I, at the minute it's one of the it's, you know I come out with this phrase from time to time and it's like just don't talk about it show me and to a degree with a lot of the people that I am dealing with when it comes to music composition I'm like it ain't there yet show me when it is it's very interesting I have to say it is really interesting because the analytical side of your brain has to kind of understand how certain things function that are outside your remit in order to make choices or make the machine make choices or make the algorithm make decisions based on that. And that's hmm. it's a quite it's a very interesting meeting of minds and that's why this panel's very interesting. I guess musical composition is an area that people are going to get defensive about. But in in same way, you know, why wouldn't they get defensive about, you know, if you're an engineer or whatever, you know, because if it's replaced. And one thing that did come up was uh, Lander. I don't know if you've seen that. This is the kind of mastering thing that uh, uh, that has proprietary algorithms that you drop your stuff on and it, you're allowed to, you know, you process it. And it, it, it makes decisions based on the program material and puts them to you and then you make the final choice. But it limits those, you know, have a bit less more, bit this, bit more that. So it simplifies it, but I'm guessing under the hood, there's some AI stuff that's worked. And I guess these are the sort of areas where we're going to see maybe faster development. I don't know. Rich, I mean, do you find that there's... Are there areas in what you do that you'd actually quite like to have some sort of AI involvement that kind of went, I don't, you know what, we haven't got an assistant, but it'd be great if that did that for me because it's a drag. And I just had to look over it at the end and go, yep, that's fine. Well, as little as I know about AI to begin with, and the possibilities. Uh, so far, the ones of the ones we've discussed, the thing that interests me the most is predictive technologies within software that learns based on your usage habits across a period of time what things you're most likely to do and presents them to you in a menu that some shows up like a favorites menu or something. Uh -huh. So you don't have to go as deep into the architecture of, say, Logic or Pro Tools or what have you in order to make a change that you make all the time. And it, it goes beyond just assigning a quick key to it. It's just because you don't necessarily need that, and they've got 10 million of those already anyway. So um, it, it, that part where software is predicting my usage based on regular observation, that part interests me. But... Talking to my console doesn't interest me that much. Um, and based on my experiences probably with Siri, 
my impression of voice recognition could use some improving, although I'm finding that Google is a lot more reliable for usage on that in the phone world. But I'm not sure I really want to talk to my console. I'm not sure I want my synthesizer to make decisions for me about whether or not I'd normally open the filter here or there. I don't really want anything that narrows the creative possibilities because it's added some automated thing, kind of like the way autocorrect in typing drives me nuts. <laughs> I'm good, serious. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah, it's a similar kind of analogy. Like, whereas creatively, if, if this thing in any way is going to paint a box around my possibilities, then I'm not that interested in it. Yeah, that's a very... And, and, and also, there's a really good point here in that we don't, as, as creative individuals, we don't want things that agree with us all the time and temper to our needs. We want things right. that challenge us and make us think about different things. There's a really... Uh, my last word on the subject is I am friendly with a guy who's one of the top five AI professors in the world, which basically, as much as I like this guy, it equates to a really simple thing. There are five people in the world that he can talk to at a party. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it an artificial party? <laughs> yeah. That would be in, uh, what's the name of that? Um, uh, oh, Second Life. Second Sims. Life, yeah. Or maybe third like or this fourth. party right here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, well, I would say, though, I mean, I've been, uh, I've been having lots of fun with Siri on iOS lately uh, in that I'm, I'm getting it to do a whole bunch of things um, really accurately, but I have practiced it a little bit. And I, this is the point I was kind of going to make. And maybe this is me and I'm not, maybe representative of everybody but um you know when you when you sort of you know like something like siri when you first start using it and it just doesn't really work so you so straight away you become very cynical and go oh it's a load of rubbish blah 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 uh but you know i've kind of stuck with it a little bit and now i can get it to do lots of stuff um accurately predictably and accurate so that you know that makes me think oh it does actually quite excite me about the possibilities that you know if you could just use that recognition and use that sort of voice uh control for stuff so you know i'm i'm kind of more on the excited side of this really um having had it now working for me i know and as i say it didn't work for me at first and maybe the technology has well certainly has well it's supposed to learn your voice print a little more as well oops excuse me sorry about that <laughs> i seem to have uh, that's my AI. Answer, that my ai, AI. <laughs> well i suppose the thing about ai the notion about ai is ta- very much take your point you're both uh, rich and right. and you and uh, and is the idea of it creating boundaries and that's not what you want if, if there's any AI, ai stuff in there you sort of want it to kind of come up with a possibility that you would just think what Oh, actually, yeah, there's something interesting going on there. But let me just, you know, in the same way that if you're interacting with a human and they played, you know, Gaz, you're in a band, you're playing, guitarist comes up with something really off the wall, you know, but it sparks something else that takes you in another direction. That's the sort, I guess, creatively, perhaps that's the area it might work. I mean, it's quite scary that the notion of uh, doing, you know, the creating of musical backing tracks and stuff, that's, that's really more about, it's less about what we do and it's more about what, people who want to do what we do would like to do and it makes it easier for them it's an aspirational tool which is again it's fine there's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't end up populating the kind of 
the the notion of what music is that's all generated by AI algorithms because that would be I mean we're not far away I mean we will end up there you know we've talked about this before with the whole sort of uh, that whole um, uh, phenomena in Japan where it's the, the the fake vocals you know the robotized vocals that are typed in and whatever you know that there is a sort of there is a precedent for that you know but it just hasn't kind of made it into into maybe our domain just yet. Um, but the, the, I think that's the thing with the developers as well. You need the developers to be sort of so so much smarter than anybody else so that whatever their boundaries are that they set up, they're going to be more interesting than what we've got, I suppose. Maybe that's a sort of notion. And they also Don't need to listen. Sorry? They need to, they, and they also need to listen and learn from creative individuals. I think that's the really fascinating part for me. Yeah. It's marrying those two mindsets again. It's like... In order to make that happen, you need to understand all of this stuff over here. Yeah. But yeah, no, sorry, Rich, you were going to come in. I, I mean, I, I don't want to see it in generative music, I must say. I don't really want it, or things that limit creativity myself. Well, both, both the last two conversations have touched on the relationship between creative people and developers on some level. And it goes back to the mid-'80s when I was trying to get a job at New England Digital, and they thought what they needed was more coders, and I thought what they needed was musicians. And uh, look where they ended up. (laughs) Whose advice did they take? (laughs) Uh, Their own. And actually, rather than hire me, they recommended me to Nile Rodgers, and we're here 26 and a half years later talking about it. Ah, well, there we go. Living proof of something. Not entirely. I'm not sure what. I'm not sure what. But there's always been that dichotomy, that uh, relationship between the developer and what they see to be the user, but what we like to call in this conversation the creative people. Not that they're not creative, but just the people who actually use the stuff in the field all the time. And somehow the coders are never quite so sure how much input they want to take from the guys who actually use it or whether or not they think they know better. And that relationship is always sort of like on a scale, the scales of justice thing, you know, it's not uh, Mm. a fixed thing right now. I think we're in pretty good shape, as I said earlier, because they do seem to care. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think also, um, as we've said, you know, the, the, the notion that, um, we all have to develop multiple skills now to operate in, you know, even in the music field, you know, that, that more besides if, it, even if we're specializing just in sound, you know, there are lots of things that we need. And those skills, obviously people move between the disciplines and coders become musicians and musicians become coders. And, you know, so there's a lot more. Well, cross yeah. More so, more so today than in 1985, admittedly. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> or true. Six or whatever it was. Fascinating stuff. Um, I think, you know, it remains to be seen where what AI can do. There's a headline there, isn't it? What, what did AI ever do for us? I mean, I'm sure there's probably, it's behind, a, I mean, well, all the Google stuff, you know, that's based on uh, AI algorithms and predictive sort of stuff that was, is learned from uh, amassing knowledge. And I suppose, you know, the thing is, is those guys developing that stuff have input from, you know, however many billion people every day, every second, and they can extrapolate stuff from that. And they haven't got that right yet, so I'm not quite sure what that tells us in terms of how easy or difficult it is to um, to get that right. Um, anyway, that's, that's just an interesting place to start. I think, actually, I'm going to... Uh, going to have to um sign off shortly because um purely because um kate bush is playing tonight in hammersmith and my partner has gone to see her so i have to get home and uh, look after the child but uh, i think she'll be having fun because she managed to get a ticket which is astonishing really anybody else been to that gig andy you haven't seen it 
Dave? No, I've heard great things about it, though. Yeah, it's supposed to be very good. It's supposed to be very good indeed. So anyway, we'll we'll say goodbye now. Um, I want to say that. But first, before we go, remember, you can win Isotope RX, as uh, I was saying from our sponsors. I'll just fling that up again. All you have to do is tweet uh, EQ Match, the hashtag EQ Match, to at Sonic Nick <laughs> and at Isotope Inc. Oh, what's that Dave got there? Dave's sitting there with <laughs> the Cynthia. It's our, uh, our band. It's our band post. We're called the NUI. Excellent. <laughs> I like that. That's the Moody Electronic Duo. Andy, yeah. you're, you you should be you should be looking in the opposite direction though. You're not supposed to have any. I that's... couldn't. <laughs> Never I'm not mind. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, guys. <laughs> that's thank the you. one. Thank you very much here. for joining us. Uh, great to have you aboard, and uh, I'm sure you'll be off again shortly, Andy, because uh, your your skills are very much in demand. I'm sure. I'll let you know who I'm out with next. Thank you. And Dave, thank you for bringing us all together. Um, wheeling Andy in. For, I don't know what sort of coercion you use, but it worked. And he's uh, he's remained. You can't see the chains on the floor or anything. So, uh, yeah, well done. Thank you very much. Uh, Dave thank Spears you. at g4software.com. And also, I want to say thank you very much to Gaz Williams for joining us as well. Uh, GazWilliams.me. Um, you will be seeing more of Gaz uh, shortly. We've, like I said, we've got Sonic Touch episode thirty-five out there right now, and there's some Cubase specials that will be coming soon. It's uh, just like to say, if anyone's in Sheffield on Saturday, I'm playing at the Sensoria Festival with the Rumbelows, uh, doing uh, our live soundtrack again to the end of summer. Hit me up if you want a guestie. <laughs> great thank you very much you never know we have people everywhere and of course <laughs> mr rich hilton um back home for a bit now i guess is it quiet for a little while or is it just endless endlessly diary filling oh there's things to do i'm sure uh, among them hang on among them is to install this is which that? is ah uh, universal octocore is that yes. the? Is that a DSP? Is that a um, PCI or a Thunderbolt one? This is a PCIe card. It be, yeah, actually, it better be <laughs> DSP accelerator card. <laughs> <laughs> DSP accelerator card. Uh, I have a quad card, which, as we all know, is uh, facing some degree of obsolescence if I choose to upgrade my computer. So, I've uh, acquired this. Ah, and that'll work, it, that works in a chassis as well, is it? If needs be. It will. I believe either of them will. Ah. I believe both uh, of the cards will work in a chassis, and I'm about to find out as soon as I pull the quad card out of that uh, 12 core and put this one in, I'm going to pop that one into a chassis and hopefully use it Excellent. here. Well, Rich, I hope you enjoy many great hours together with your ua stuff <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us i like their stuff but as you can see i'm wearing colin today ah I love the man and he's he makes brilliant stuff really mr mcdsp I could, I could live pretty much other than a couple of things uh, i could live pretty much just in mcdsp all day long and be very happy excellent well that's a that's a a phrase indeed well thank you very much everybody um i uh, will see you next time uh there will be uh, a show next wednesday which is great so i'm gonna fade to black and um see you later bye <laughs>